The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Our title tonight is Jesus, Our Healer. And this is, this is a big deal when we look at Jesus' ministry and the kingdom of God coming specifically into the Galilean region. But Jesus coming in and we see him teaching with authority. Uh, we see him healing people to be sure. And we see, we see him delivering people from oppression or evil as we've seen already in our consideration of Mark chapter uh, one. Um, and, and tonight we're gonna watch as he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And so I wanted to develop this just a little bit. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this. We'll get into our Bible study. But I want you to think about this. Is the scriptures clearly teach that Jesus heals us from our sin. That one of the things that he does for you and I is that he heals us from our sin. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end in the application that he heals us from its power. That is, he sets us free from sin's oppression in our lives. And is Danny, are you saying we never sin? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the power sin had over us prior to us coming to Christ, it no longer has over us. Uh, and, he's, and, he, and especially with, by virtue of the fact that the Spirit dwells within us, and when we're tempted to sin, we can always turn to the Scriptures, we can turn to the Spirit and ask for help to resist temptation the same way Jesus did in the wilderness. But he also heals us from sin's penalty. He heals us from sin's penalty. Jesus obviously has the power to heal us from sickness or disease. And also, I have experienced personally him healing my soul. That is, the things that have happened to me over the course of my life, God has brought healing to. And the people that have wronged me and that I've wronged, which also damages my soul or hurts my soul or traumatizes my soul, God, over the years, I'm 66 years old, been walking with the Lord since I was 28. Listen, he brings healing to my soul. So to, he heals us of sickness and sin, and he heals our soul. Our takeaway tonight is there's no greater miracle than the new birth. There's no greater miracle than a person becoming born again and through that experiencing God's healing from sin, from sickness and of his soul. Let's get into this a little bit here where it says, during our previous times together, Jesus came into the Galilee. And we know that there are probably nine months um, after his uh, temptation that he uh, was in Jerusalem and the woman at the well and picking some disciples, turning water into wine. As he comes into Galilee, he picks uh, some disciples, not all of them, but a couple, and that he, as I said already, taught with authority, something that the people had never experienced before. So he taught with authority, and he delivered a man in church last week. Uh, he delivered a man from the power of a demon. In verse 28, we concluded, I'm going to read this to you, and at once his fame or news of Jesus spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That is... Everybody was talking about Jesus. Everybody was talking about the things that he was doing and the possibility is if he was the Messiah. 
A church that experiences a touch of Jesus will be talking about Jesus. Not, not so much about current events, although that's fine, but they'll be talking about Jesus. I believe that it's a spiritual barometer of sorts to see where Danny Ramos is at. If I'm talking about Jesus with you, if I'm talking about what Jesus is doing in my life, and I'm interested in hearing about what Jesus is doing in your life. It was 1978. Wanda and I had become Christians. We were part of a small church in Fallbrook, a small Calvary chapel. And most of us were newly married, and we would have these gatherings where everybody, a potluck, right? Everybody would come to somebody's home after church. We would share a meal together, and we would spend hour upon hour talking about what Jesus had done in our lives. I don't know if you can remember that time in your life. It was new. It was fresh. We maybe knew a couple of verses. We would share what God showed us in his word. And it seemed as though the excitement of who Jesus was, having been forgiven of our sins, was so powerful. I want you to think of people at this time being struck with a sense of awe. Maybe even wonder, that's a good word, at Jesus' presence. So tonight, the story that we're going to consider obviously takes place in Peter's home. Notice with me that Jesus' ministry in the synagogue from last week is simply being carried over uh, to a meal that, that Peter is going to uh, host Jesus to, to Peter's family. I want you to see that at the time of day, it's about noon, noonish. A meal is being prepared. A woman is sick with fever, suggesting infection to us, right? And Jesus heals her. We're going to look at how he heals her. And then we're going to look at her response because I think it's important. It's telling to us. In our time together, please see a God who became man to save us from our sins, to reveal God the Father to us. And in the miracle, see his compassion and his power and his authority. In this miracle, see Jesus. Maybe we don't see his physical features, but see his compassion for the woman, see his power to deliver her from this fever, and see his authority. We'll see his authority in how he deals with this fever. He rebukes it. He speaks to it. These all things are very intriguing to me. Uh, I'm going to read to you a, a, an account from a book that I recently got, but before I do, I wanted to share this verse. It's while we were worshiping, the Lord laid this verse on my heart. And I say that with a level of seriousness because I believe that this may benefit somebody that's either sitting here tonight or somebody who's joining us online or out on Solomon's porch. And you know this verse. It's from Isaiah 42. Listen to these words. It speaks of the Lord. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You may be in a situation or circumstance in your life where you tonight are down. And God wants to say to you that he will, he will, he will lift you up and he will provide, he will provide the strength that you need. Then this, this idea of the wick not being quenched, he, he, will, he will keep you going. Well, let's, uh, let me uh, read to you this, uh, this testimony 
It's a little long, I apologize in the beginning, um, but it's from a book called Miracles Today by Dr. Craig S. Keener. Miracles Today, Dr. Craig S. Keener, and it's a testimony about Barbara Comiskey. So Barbara, I'm gonna spell her last name for you in case you wanna write it down and check, check it out later. But her last name is spelled C-U-M-M-I-S-K-E-Y, Barbara Comiskey. It was Pentecost Sunday, January, June the 7th, 1981, and two friends from Barbara's church came by to visit her after the morning service. This time, they showed up laden with cards and letters. Someone had called in a prayer request for Barbara to the local Christian radio station, and now 450 letters came to her church. And so they were basically delivering these cards and letters to Barbara to encourage her. As her friends began to read the new letters to her, she suddenly heard a booming, authoritative voice over her left shoulder. And the voice said this, My child, get up and walk. Because of her breathing tube, she could only speak, she could speak only when someone plugged a hole in her neck. She had MS. She hadn't moved in years. As a matter of fact, as, as they were interviewing her, she said that her feet not only went straight down, they curled back because of not being used, because of multiple sclerosis. Regarding her being able to communicate and plugging the hole in her, in her um, breathing tube, they would do this whenever she looked agitated, and her friends, seeing her current agitation, plugged a hole. And she said, God just told me to get up and walk. Her friends grew quiet, but Barbara insisted, go get my family. She ordered them urgently. Feeling her excitement, they had dashed out the room to find her family. The sense of urgency in Barbara's heart suddenly became too intense for her to wait uh, for their return. Normally, it would take two people about two minutes to get her out of bed. They would slide her onto a lap board and then on, into a chair. But now she did not have time to ponder what she should have been impossible for her. Abruptly, she jumped out of bed uh, toward the direction of the voice. Remember the voice that had spoken to her while her friends were reading her letters. Equally abruptly, she found herself standing. She was now standing, something she had not been able to do. Her feet had been too deformed to even wear slippers, but now she found them flat on the ground. And she noticed that her hands were both opened at her sides, like anyone else's. What struck her next was that she could see her hands and her feet. She was no longer blind. Freeing herself from the connected apparatus, she uh, disconnected her, uh, her, her tracheotomy tube from the oxygen tank and, fa and fastened the catheter bags to her clothing with safety pins. At this point, her friends returned to the room as they caught each other's eyes, her friends started screaming and jumping. Her mother came running behind, assuming uh, from her friend's urgent summons that something terrible had happened to Barbara. As Barbara's mother burst into the room, however, she froze, transfixed with amazement. Not only was Barbara healed from her condition beyond possible natural explanation, her muscles were not even atrophied as they normally would have been from years and years of non-use. And she said to Barbara, you have calves again. You know, moms, moms are very interesting in these moments. 
Barbara examined her own legs with astonishment, and she yelled for Dad. He shouted back, just a minute. Uh, He had not heard um, the cause of all the commotion. And since Barbara had become unable to speak normally, her father assumed that it was her sister calling to him. But Barbara realized that she could no longer, she no longer had to wait for him to come to her. So at about this time, Angela, a friend who often came to see her, arrived for a visit. Angela was an occupational therapist who knew that Barbara had reached the point of no return for MS. As she witnessed Barbara bolting out the room, Angela was horrified. Nobly, she rushed to get Barbara's pulse. Wait, she said fearfully, you can't be in bed that many years and then just up and have a normal heartbeat. But she did. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. Just give me a minute. But Barbara could not wait for Angela. She raced down the wheelchair ramp. Angela desperately grabbed the oxygen tank, wheeling it down the ramp after her. But you can't, you can't, she kept protesting, while those who followed Barbara out of her room just kept laughing. Finally, Barbara's dad spotted her. Overcome with joy, he waltzed Barbara around the room, her catheter bag still attached to her clothing. What a sight that must have been. Soon, she recounts, she ran outside and hit the blacktop on that 93-degree sunny day with feet that could could, could now feel, with new sight being able to see. And she danced and dance, and she says, I did as I inhaled the fragrant summer air and saw sights I had so missed. Jesus was already Barbara's reason to live, but by this healing, he enabled her to live a normal life. Let me tell you what Dr. Keener's goal is, yeah. He, he had served in Africa and seen miracles. He had seen come into villages that were dominated by um, idol worship and demon worship. And he saw that, that when a leader from the community, who everybody knew, right, these are small villages, that when they became, that when they were healed by Jesus, that entire villages were converted by seeing and witnessing the power of God. In his book, He documents the illness from the beginning to the conclusion. He has testimony from family members and doctors. He provides provides and presents uh, those documents so that Jesus can be glorified. And he previously had been an atheist. So, So his goal is to provide this in such a way so as to help people believe so as to bring people to Jesus. Not to build a ministry or a platform for an individual. Please see this, because I believe this is Mark's goal. But for us to see what Jesus is like and how Jesus deals with us. I'm going to give you that Isaiah verse again in case this is for you. Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Let's go ahead and read this account. Just a couple of verses. The Galilean ministry, Jesus heals a woman. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Those are two brothers, two of the disciples that he called while they were fishing, along with James and John. 
Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's interesting that we don't know her name. We don't know her name. And sometimes I suspect that when we look at the scriptures and the individual isn't identified, that one of the reasons that that's the same, again, this is my assumption, is so that you and I can identify with them. A woman, probably an older woman, has a fever. I want you to notice that our story is in the first person. And at this time, rabbis had determined that an individual on the Sabbath could walk approximately 3,000 feet, no more. This suggests that Peter lived relatively close to the synagogue. Again, as I said last week, these are his people. This is his church. I want to talk a little bit about Peter from a Catholic perspective, and maybe that's something you're familiar with. But the Catholic Church teaches that Peter was the first pope or leader of the church. This belief comes from, at least the basis of this belief for Roman Catholics is, comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse, I mean, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Let me read this to you. This is Jesus' words to Peter. And Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, which means a small stone. You are Peter, and on this rock, rock would be, it's a play on words, it's Petra, speaks of a large boulder or foundation stone, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, Danny, where do they get the idea? Where do great people get this idea? Their belief is that Jesus bestowed here in this passage on Peter authority over the church. That in time, after a succession of different popes or leaders, God would speak uh, through them, making decisions about doctrine and church practice. So there is, again, this idea that from Peter all the way down to today, there is a succession of leadership. And that at times, this individual speaks with authority. Now, many of us don't accept this, but this is their belief. As a matter of fact, as we sit here tonight, I would say to you that we believe that authority comes not through a man, but through the Bible. I would also say that although we appreciate church tradition, we would never place it on the same level as Scripture. As a matter of fact, my interpretation of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is when Jesus says, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, it's not speaking of Peter at all, but it's speaking of Peter's declaration. When Peter, in response to Jesus asking who do men say that I am, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As a matter of fact, I would say that the church is built upon Jesus. The, the church, you and I, we come into the church through Christ, and the church is built upon the foundation stone, the immovable stone, the stone that the builders cast to the side, Jesus Christ. Another Catholic teaching is that, and this is all pertinent to, to Peter, is that clergy are to be celibate. There's nobody more thankful tonight that that's not the, I don't agree with that than me. However, Mark tells us that Peter had a mother-in-law. That's within our story. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when defending his ministry, references Peter being married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul writes, 
do we not have the right to take along a believing or a Christian wife? That is, as we go out to minister, shouldn't we also be along, able to take along a wife? And again, now remember the context is that he's defending his ministry. And he goes on to say, as do the other apostles. So there are more apostles and the, the brothers of the Lord, which could be James and Jude. And then he says, Cephas, who is Peter. As a matter of fact, early church Leaders tell us that when Peter died in Rome, that his wife was martyred with him. And so our takeaway would be that, that he was married and that he was married later in life. Well, let's leave that beside and get back into the story here. Listen to Luke's account of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in Luke chapter 4, verse 39. It should be on the screen. And he stood over her. So Jesus moves towards Peter's mother-in-law. And he, the idea here is that he leans over her to be near her, to draw close to her. See this with me. Intimacy, closeness. But no, no, even more than that. Listen, listen. Because this is how we minister. Dignity. He takes time to be with her. She's sick. She's suffering. He goes to be with her, doesn't require that she comes to him. Listen, because this reveals the nature of Jesus tonight for you. He comes to be with you. He looks into your eyes. He knows your name. And he shows you dignity. He elevates her in the way he treats her. This is the way the Lord ministers to you tonight. This is the way pastors minister to you. They take time with you. They know your name. There's a relationship. He comes near to the woman. Notice that Jesus commands the fever to leave in the same way that he commanded the demon or rebuked the demon to depart the man from the synagogue from last week. This seems, this seems Important to notice that he speaks to the fever as one having authority over the fever in the same way that he spoke to the evil spirit as one having authority over the evil spirit. Notice his mannerism. I've always had great doctors. Um, uh, Dr. Miller now, he gave me his number so I can text him. And I don't get sick very often, but there are times when it feels you know, like, hey, I'm doing this and this and this, and he kind of gets back to me right away. And he always says the same thing. I'm so glad that you feel comfortable enough with texting me. And for, him, for him, I had a, a, a woman doctor. Her name was Dr. Cornelius. And, and, and she was always very kind, but you know, kind of business-minded, kind of like, you know, Danny, this is what you need to do. I was, Actually terrified when she told me I could no longer have as many tortillas as I would like, but nevertheless, you know, I, I knew that she cared for me. She made room for me. Um, and so we have, we have these, the, these doctors. And, and if Jesus were to come to you, he would come to you in your moment of need, and he would spend time with you. It, you wouldn't feel as though you were being rushed along. You, you, would, he, you wouldn't feel as though, I had this friend, um, Bob uh, Leinard, and, and he was taking a seminary class, a Denver seminary, and one of his teachers was uh, a professor named uh, Chap Clark, who was, uh, he had written many books in, in 
about youth ministry, and I had I'd read them. And so when Bob and I were on a missions trip, uh, we were talking one night, and I said, tell me about your youth ministry class. And he goes, oh, uh, Chap Clark, Dr. Clark. And I go, yeah. I go, tell me what he's like. He says, you know, the only way I can describe him is, he's obviously wonderfully qualified to teach the class because all of his years. And you know, he goes, but when he talks to you, you feel like you're the only person in the room. That when he answers your question, he makes you feel like it's a worthy question. And my friends, tonight, when Jesus deals with you, you are the only person in the room. And he looks into your eyes and he sees your soul. My friends, tonight, Jesus is our healer. Some of you are well bought, you know, able bodied, strong, nice head of hair, great smile. But your wound isn't in your body, it's in your soul. There's that verse from Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. Listen. He restores, he renews, he revives my soul. Some of you can lift weights. Some of you can run distance. Some of you can surf. Some of you are really, really physically strong. But my friends tonight, I would ask you, do you need Jesus to heal your soul? That wound, that hurt, that, listen, shapes you in how you react to people, in how you deal with circumstances. Oh my. Her recovery is instant, for we see at the conclusion of verse 31, it says, and she began to serve them. So Jesus drew near to her. her. He, He healed her by touching her, by lifting her up. And it says then her response is she began to serve them. The idea is that those who had come to Peter's house after church is that she begins to wait on them. I don't know about your experiences in restaurants, but there's two things that I like in a restaurant. One is for the menus to be clean. You you go to some breakfast places and you're like there trying to open it because the syrup's fighting against you. And the other is for the server to be attentive. And I know that the day in which we live, so many servers are overworked and and, and we give them grace and a good tip. But there are those times where you feel like you've been taken care of, maybe customer service. Well, she, Peter's mother-in-law, begins to wait on them. She begins to serve them after she's healed. I want you to think back about after Jesus' temptation, his 40 days in the wilderness, Mark tells us something very interesting. He said that he was among the wild animals and that angels came and ministered to him. Remember, 40 days of fasting and then being tempted by the devil. And it says that angels from heaven come and minister to him. That's the same word that's used for mother-in-law taking care of those in Peter's home. The word served here is where we get our word deacon. I don't know about you, but as I was studying through this, I get the sense that from her sickbed, the way she responds elevates her. And I'm going to read you a verse in a minute as to why I believe this, but it elevates her. 
She's instantly healed because Jesus healed her. She's restored, and she responds by serving, and there is a lifting up. There is an elevation in her ministry. I want you to remember seven deacons who served on widows' tables. It's the same word. Listen to Jesus' perspective on those in the church or the body of Christ. He says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is the great call to the church that we serve one another, that we take care of each other, that we too, like our Savior, look into another individual's eyes, see their soul, develop a relationship with them in order that we might serve them and see that within the kingdom of God, it is the highest rank, not the pastor so much so, or the evangelist, or the prophet, or the teacher, listen, but the one who would serve. Now, I want to talk to some of you who are here tonight. No, I'm not going to fall down. Don't worry. I want to talk to you about some of you here tonight because you wouldn't want these lights on you in any way, and yet you have a gift of mercy. You have a gift of helps. You have a gift of hospitality. And based on Jesus' words, you are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Again, you wouldn't want notoriety. You wouldn't want attention. But there is something within your spirit and within your soul that resonates when you help somebody. You know what I'm talking about. You help somebody and you like feel like, yes, I just scored a touchdown. That was amazing. That was great. Who else can I help? If it weren't for you, there would be no church. I know I said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because it's built upon Jesus. But you really are. You really are the foundation of so many families and so many relationships. And even those who serve here at Maranatha and so many other churches. Our motto here, our, uh, our motto, our mission statement here at Maranatha Chapel is love God and love people. And that's what, that's what Peter's mother-in-law is doing. Rick Warren, there's a quote by Rick Warren that says, the only way you can serve God is by serving other people. The only way you can serve God is by serving other people. Now I'm going to talk about something here that really comes from my heart. And let me tell you where it comes from. One of the ministries I'm responsible for here at the church is called Grief Share. It's a ministry for those who have lost a loved one, experiencing, obviously, grief and mourning and sadness. And, and it's an amazing to watch. It's a 13 weeks. It's amazing to watch people come in the first week. And when they conclude the third week, 13th week, I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that they still don't grieve the loss of their loved one, but they've received so much ministry and tools in dealing with it. And the transformation is incredible, and we attribute it to God. But I want to say a couple of things on many of these people's behalf. In Jesus' healing of Peter's mother-in-law, we see his compassion. But what do we do when we pray and we pray and we pray and healing doesn't happen? We believe, we believe that God heals, especially here at Maranatha. We pray earnestly. We get as many people as we can to pray along with us. 
but our loved one remains ill or even dies or passes away, then what do we do? We are thankful when we hear testimonies of other people being healed, but at the same time we hear those testimonies, our hearts break over the loss that we've experienced. What then? In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Perhaps comfort can be found knowing that God draws near to us in our loss. And comfort can also be found knowing that one day death shall be no more. I believe that whether God heals us now, that is in this lifetime or in eternity, that one day everyone will experience healing. And that is what we hold on to. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, Of God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And you know when I found that verse? I found that verse when my father passed away in the mid-'80s. I found that verse, and I read it over and over and over. He had been diagnosed with cancer. He had basically struggled with cancer, fought cancer for about six months. But when he passed away and we were preparing for his memorial service, this is a verse that brought me comfort, that even though I lost him and miss him, I will see him again, and there will be no more mourning or grieving. I hope this helps you. I really do. What I wouldn't want somebody to do is to come to church and either not come forward and receive prayer and an anointing or in any way be discouraged, but to see that we are to, again, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's a quote by Chuck Smith from a book called Living Water. It's his, um, his instruction on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which I find very, very helpful. And this is a quote. Why isn't everyone healed? Why is it that some people are healed and some are not? I'll give you my answer. He says, I do not know. I do not know. Our posture is to continue to pray for our loved ones until either healing is realized or they go to be with the Lord. And we have a number of instances, I'm not going to read them to you, but within the pages of Scripture of individuals who were sick, so they've, they're godly people who experience sickness. And the only reason I would read those to you, although I'm not, the only reason is because if you're experiencing any kind of suffering, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. If you're experiencing suffering or loneliness or abandonment, it doesn't mean necessarily. It would almost be like adding a burden to somebody carrying a burden. We wouldn't want to do that. What we would want to do is have opportunity to pray for you and to minister to you. So at the end of the, uh, the day in Capernaum's excitement about Jesus is seen and they're coming to Peter's home. Let's go ahead and look at the latter, last uh, part here where Jesus heals many in verses 32 through 34. That evening at sundown, they brought to him uh, all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. 
and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So you and I understand that, that Sabbath, the Sabbath day would begin Friday at sundown and would conclude Saturday evening. And the idea is that a leader from the community would wait outside, and as soon as he could see three stars in the sky, then he would notify everybody that the Sabbath was over. And as soon as the Sabbath was over, everybody in Capernaum, it says that the whole community made their way to Peter's home to see Jesus. We're just about done, but I want you to think about this. There were those who brought loved ones. There were those who brought those in the community who were afflicted by evil. And Jesus patiently deals with each person one by one. It's not, it's not an assembly line in any, in any stretch of the imagination. He deals with each individual one by one, healing, delivering, and the idea is that as the, all the people have come, they refuse to leave his presence. They refuse to leave Peter's front yard, so to speak, because remember, Jesus, Jesus is our healer. He heals us from sin, he heals us from sickness, and he heals our souls. Verse 33, again, says, of these people who were, in a sense, in a crisis, the whole city was gathered together at the door, each person in need, hoping that Jesus would meet the need of their loved one. Lastly, we are told that Jesus does not allow the demons to speak or to identify him in any way. He silences evil with but a word. So I just want to wrap up here. We conclude with Jesus healing and delivering those who are afflicted. Again, we see his compassion, his power, and his authority. He refuses to let evil speak or engage it. Just stop and think about that for a moment. Granted, this is in regard to his identity, but just stop and think about it. He doesn't engage these evil spirits. He tells them to be quiet and to get out. He gives them no platform. He gives them no place. He deals with them abruptly. By application this week, I'll ask you to think about these two things. First, as I've said already, Jesus heals you from sin's power and penalty. Jesus heals us from sin's power and penalty. Secondly, Jesus heals our past by giving us hope and a future. Jesus heals our past by giving us hope and a future. Will you join me in a word of prayer? So Heavenly Father, tonight as we, as we look at Mark's gospel, as we consider Jesus, we consider your ministry to this woman and then to the multitude or this community, we see what you are like. And the reason it's important to see what you're like is because this is how you treat us. This is how you deal with us. As a physician, you care for us. You heal us, you deliver us, you bring wholeness on every level of our being, body, soul, and spirit, you bring a completeness, a wholeness. 
And I believe that part of the reason that the, that the Gospels present you in such a way is so that we will come to you. We will make our way to your doorway, knowing that you will receive us. Lord, for many of us in this room, we have been rejected. We have been abandoned. We have been told by man or those close to us that there's something wrong with us. But you are the one who draws us close for the purpose of healing us, of making us whole. We are those, Lord, who recognize that you are God, Jesus, that you have all authority, all power in heaven and in, on earth, and that you desire to minister to each one of us tonight. And I speak specifically, Lord, of those who have lost a loved one over the, recently, that you are the answer, that you bring healing to the wounded heart. I pray to those who are afflicted as we considered Barbara's testimony tonight. You are the one who speaks, my child, get up and walk, my child. You don't ridicule us, you don't load us with down with, but you have sin in your life or this, this, there's a demonic entity upon you or there's something wrong with you, no. You call us to yourself so that you can bring healing to us and to our loved ones. And Lord, if we don't realize healing during this lifetime, we with all certainty know that we will experience healing as we come into your presence in heaven. So Father, tonight I pray you'll bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.